0: We are so far from that before we are converted but in our conversions the Lord begins this process with us and um, the the process of sanctification is connected to our coming to faith and um, even our justification uh, as we understand it. Now, the, the verse 6 refers to this. As you, have re- as, you, as, the, as you therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, the words justification and sanctification are not used in this passage. But the ideas are definitely there. A walking in the Lord is the could be a definition of sanctification. If we walk with the Lord or walk in the Lord, then we are... Um, consciously living our lives under the oversight and under the knowledge that God is the Lord and that we are his people and that we must bring our lives into coordination with what he has written. And so uh, as it says, so walk in him, but you see that's the second half of the sentence. It says in the first half, as as you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. So this walking in the Lord is connected with receiving uh, Christ in our lives. And there will be no sanctification. There will be no life of sanctification without receiving Christ. You can form some good habits in your life and that's better than terrible habits. That is without Christ. But they will never be fully sanctified They will never never justify you because they're not done in the name of the Lord. You're not doing them because you love the Lord. You're doing them because you're trying to make yourself better. You're trying to self-justify yourself. You're trying to work up a kind of list or record for yourself so that when you come to the judgment day, you can say, God, look at me. Look at this. Look what I have done. That will never work. So unless we start with Christ... There is no possibility of sanctification. Now we see in this passage, if you see the sermon outline that I have in the bulletin, you see that this subject comes to pass. It's really the third subject, or a third subject, in this passage. When Paul started chapter 2, he said, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for, for you and those in Laodicea. Uh, That is in in, uh, Colossae and Laodicea. So first of all, he deals with a conflict that is raging about them. He's in prison because of this conflict. He doesn't want them to have a gilded view of the Christian life. As if once we give our lives to Christ, once we claim the blessings that Jesus promises us in himself, that our lives will be easy. No, he says. And, and so he begins here talking about the conflict, and the the, the the idea of the conflict goes on through this passage. We preached on that three weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, I preached on the idea of uh, Christ and the fullness of Christ as that's brought out in this passage. Uh, Paul went and spoke to the people of Colossae, giving them a reason for hope and a reason for the struggle and a reason for the conflict because of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Colossians really teaches a tremendous amount about the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is based upon Christ himself personally, the, the Christ is the, the uh, root of our faith. It is the ground of our faith. It is because of what Christ has done that we can stand, that we can have any hope of passing through the judgment of the Father. And so uh, it says even at the end of this passage that we read just now, uh, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So the first theme of this passage has been conflict. Secondly, Christ, because Christ is the key to Surviving the conflict and the, the key to having a good attitude about the conflict of being a, a happy soldier in the midst of the difficulties of the war. And then the third subject that, that he deals with here, and he doesn't, It's uh, Paul just packs so much into these passages. So I don't, I don't want to s- uh, skip over the major parts that he's bringing to us. And that's why I've made three sermons on this passage. So the third part here is the subject of, of uh, sanctification. And as I said already, he ties the, the subject of sanctification in with the idea of receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, we know that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Well, what happens? We hear the message of Jesus Christ. We hear what his promises are to us. We hear what he's done. We hear that without him, we have no hope whatsoever. He who has not believed in the Lord, Paul says, is, uh, comes, has come unto the judgment already. And so we see that we must have Christ. When, when, once we see we must have Christ, we repent, and we, we have faith in, the Lord, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What, does, what is our faith in? What is it about Jesus Christ that we rest upon? Well, it's those two things. His bearing the penalty for our sin and then his working up this record of 100% brilliant righteousness which can be ours by faith. And so we believe on that. Now when we believe on his work, when we put our trust in his work, we know that that legally that legally is connected to us. It's like coming into a court and you have a huge debt, but then you're able to show the court that in your credit account you have more than enough money to cover the debt. And you can stand before the court with a, a, a good feeling, a, a confidence about yourself, because even though you know that much is demanded of you, you know that you have the assets to meet the debt. And in Jesus Christ, we have the assets to meet the debt. We have, 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, we have the righteousness of God in him. There is nothing that God can ask of us more than the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the measure by which we shall be judged. And if we have that in Christ, we are free people. We are delivered. We stand strong. And we can have hope before him. And it's this process, it's this promised declaration, or this declaration and the promise of the completion of it in Jesus Christ. That's what what we mean when we talk about justification. It's a state of being. Um, if we're sick that's a state of being if we're healthy that's a state of being if if we're energetic that's a state of being and so if we have Christ we have the state of being the state of legal standing in the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us a a wonderful place before the Lord he adopts on that basis he adopts us as his son's, son and daughter. It's on that basis then. that's what well, That's what Paul means here when he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, then walk in it. Now what that means is that there is a connection between the way we receive Christ and the credits that we get from Christ at that point, and and are the sanctification process of our lives. That is this process of living our lives day by day, by day by day, and and uh, growing better and better throughout our lives. One of the connections, one of the it makes a uh, uh, it makes an analogy here or a connection between these to these two processes that really informs our faith and helps us to have a better theology at the end of your life you can't you can't come to the lord at the judgment day and say well lord i'm saved i'm saved i know i have confidence that i'm saved because you forgave me at the beginning of my life and then look at all these good works that i've worked up in my sanctification process that's not going to work. That's not the. That, that's not in congruence with your justification. If your justification was a hundred percent by free grace, then your sanctification is a hundred percent by free grace. It's just that that grace that is that, that is in you begins to work out some real actual behaviors in your life. None of those behaviors are 100% righteous in and of themselves, but as they are perfected in Jesus Christ by grace, they are uh, agreeable to the Father. And we will get credit for them. But it's it's always in Christ. It's always based upon Christ. So the sentence, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we've received Christ by grace. And it's absolutely necessary that we continue to walk in grace through our lives and that we get that through our heads and we know that even though there's a difference between this credit of righteousness that we have at the beginning of our lives and the credit of righteousness that we'll have throughout our lives, the credit that we get from Christ is more than, it's a way above what we actually work out in the flesh. And so in one place in the Bible in Philippians, uh, the Apostle Paul says that he, he, he uh, obeys the Lord with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling. In other words, um, it's out of the great sense of debt that he has before the Lord that uh, he struggles to become, to, to be a part of the battle, to struggle to put on a more and more of the Christian behavior that he knows he's called to. And um, that, is, uh, that is completely lovely. And um, so this teaches us the necessity of, of sanctification. It teaches us the analogy between justification and sanctification, the analogy of grace in our lives through these two processes, if you look it up in the Shorter Catechism, both of these processes are by grace. And, um, and we need to get that through our heads. The basis of all of this is the work of Christ. And that's why embedded in this passage is so much about Jesus Christ. So you see how these, these ideas are connected. If we read from the very beginning, the uh, um, of the uh, of the second chapter, uh, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for it, as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit, knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So justification begins with Christ or grows out of Christ, and so does sanctification. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your what? The good, the good, the good order, or your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So the Lord sees this coming to faith and the Christian life as one organic process or one united process based on the work of God for us, and in us, which is all based upon Jesus Christ. And that's why at the end of this little passage, it again speaks of Christ, that that uh, uh, in him that is in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So when you think about your sanctification, and you, you think, I, I, I fall so so far short, God, of the glory that you call me to. He'll say to you, yes, but do you have my son? And we say, yes, I have my son. I have your son. Then he'll say, well, then you have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete. You are complete in him. Brothers and sisters, too often we get depressed in this life about ourselves because we're thinking only of the flesh. We're thinking only of what we've done. Think of what Christ has done for you and in you. Hear that the word of God says you are complete in him. Do you think God is exaggerating this? Do you think God has made a mistake? That he says you are complete in him, but he doesn't really mean it. He's just trying to make you feel good. Like we'll say to each other, boy, you're you're looking great or you're doing great. We're thinking to ourselves, well, that's kind of true. (laughs) God is not like that. God tells us that we are complete in him. He wants us to be thrilled with this. That's why the early Christians would call each other saints. St. Robbie, St. Christopher. Oh, well, maybe not that. (laughs) Uh, St. Jeremy, Uh, the Lord, the Lord sees us as far better. Why? We we say if we are complete in him, why do we get depressed? Why do we not believe the gospel? Why do we not believe God's word? We are too often, uh, we too often suffer because we seduce ourselves with our own words. I probably call myself stupid more than you. And I, you know, sort of curse myself under my breath when I make mistakes and things like that. I I realize that that's a real mistake. I mean, it's good for us to exhort ourselves, but not to let that exhortation pull us down or to really get us depressed. Because if we have Christ, we have everything. If we have Christ, we are justified before his face. If we have Christ, we are sanctified before his face. Never forget the the sermon that John Murray preached on full sanctification. Uh, We know that we are not sanctified until we get to heaven in this life. But there are statements in scripture, and that's what Murray was preaching on, that, that state that in Christ we have not only full justification, but in Christ we have full sanctification, which this passage here hints at when it says that we are complete in him. And so we ought to, this ought to be the most powerful medicine possible to help us psychologically with our lives. The more you listen to God's word, the more you coast and are fueled by God's, the happy things that God says about you, the more successful you'll be in your life of sanctification. The more fuel you'll have in your life of sanctification. The more you'll be driven to try harder and to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The more fuel you'll have for that, the more energy you'll have for that, because you understand the truth of the gospel in your life. There are a couple of applicative, I've got here in your outline, applicative negations. And in this 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 outline today, I've used a lot of really sophisticated abstract words, Christology, sanctification, justification, analogy. Here I'm using the word negation. Negation is something where you say what something is not. An Affirmation is something where you you say something is like this. Uh, You're saying something positive or something uh, definite about whatever it is you're speaking. And negation is something uh, negative about it. Now, the reason I say this is that the implications of this doctrine. Again, this is not taught specifically here in this passage, but if we are, if we, if if there's this parallel between our justification and our sanctification, then our our sanctification is not one that looks for the apostolic miraculous gifts. One of the reasons why the evangelical church is so confused today about such things as this, is they don't see the glory of sanctification. They don't see the glory of, of molding ourselves to becoming more perfect and more holy before the face of the Lord. And so, and so they're looking for some extravagant declaration by the things that are done, by speaking in tongues, or by some miracle. They're looking for some an amazing events like this to, to signal that they are really qualified. That God really loves them. That they really have the power of the gospel in them. But you see, if you understand the doctrine of justification and sanctification, then you understand, you ask the question, what do I get from speaking in some a spiritual tongue? What does that really do for me? Is that better? than being a good husband or a good wife, of being faithful to each other, of being humble with each other? Is that better than rearing children faithfully before the Lord? Of course not! See, these are like Fourth of July firecrackers and things like that that are going off. And when people lust after these things, it shows that they don't really understand the beauties of sanctification. They don't really understand the beauties of grace working out in their lives. The apostle also says here, <clears throat> beware lest anyone treat, cheat you through philosophy and vain deceit. Well, one of the ways that we get treated through, cheated through philosophy is that we let philosophical ideas that we haven't dealt with, we don't really understand, we let them redefine other words in our lives, other words in our theology, so that it totally changes the meaning of them. Like the word spiritual. The word spiritual, used biblically, means that we are brought more and more into the conformity of God who is a spirit. It means that we behave more and more like him, that we love him more and more because he is lovable. That's being spiritual. Spiritual does not mean that you're feeling mystical or that you're feeling mostly ghostly, as I used to say, or that we're, we're that, that we're that we losing our minds. That we that we've passed beyond the rational into the into the non-rational, and if the, the non-rational is superior to the rational, the Bible says, "Be babes and evil, but in understanding, be men." but if you have these if you take if you use false philosophy like eastern philosophy which teaches that that mysticism is a higher state of being than just being alive in this rational world if you take, if you bite on that and if you eat that and if you swallow that message then your the, the whole of your faith can be ruined and the mystical the mystical religions were very prevalent in Asia Minor, when Paul wrote here, the mystery religions of the Greco-Roman Empire. So Paul says he wants the people to see the beauties of Christ, the beauties of sanctification, and not be caught up with these false views. Another false view along these lines, where philosophy can totally change. Uh, My mother and father were reared in the United Presbyterian Church, and the pastors in the United Presbyterian Church from about the, from the 30s on progressively, more and more, they dropped the supernatural dimension of Christianity, and they more and more simply meant that these theological words were kind of psychologically soothing words. So they would use the name of Jesus Christ, but they didn't mean the Christ of the Bible. And so you had the whole husk of Christianity there. It was like a building that was, had nothing inside it. Well, Paul says, I don't want the philosophy or vain deceit to ruin your faith. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And he refers a number of times here uh, to, the, <clears throat> uh, to the doctrines of Christ. And, uh, uh, to, um, uh, the wisdom and the knowledge. He speaks in verse three, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Jesus Christ. And he speaks of, he speaks of, um, uh, the fa- faith in Jesus Christ in, in a, in what we'd say as objective. As it, as, it, as it amounts to the doctrines of Christ instead of just the subjective ways, which has to do with the energy of our faith in us. And so, <clears throat> Paul, by, by preaching this strong doctrine of Christ and the strong doctrine of justification and uh, sanctification, he is outlaw, he's outlawing or putting outside of bounds of these false views. And he ends there in verse seven. We've never had this phenomenon before. I'm not sure what that. Uh, what? Oh, that's a school bell. Okay, I, it, it, it is twelve o'clock, and it's time for me to stop my sermon. But uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that I'd get that kind of a warning. But uh, Paul closes by. By saying, uh, by saying uh, that uh, that we should be in verse seven that we should rejoice, uh, that we should abound with thanksgiving in all of this. And so I just close with that. It's a wonderful. This is a wonderful picture here of our salvation, the completeness of it, the power of it, the joy of it, and we ought to we ought to exhibit that in our lives. And um, when we do that, we certainly discourage the devil because he throws everything he can at us. The thing the devil hates more than anything else is suffering Christians, Christians under trial, who are smiling at the same time. He hates that. It gives him a stomachache and a headache. He's used all of his best satanic ministrations upon this people and he cannot get them discouraged excessively. But it's a great glory to the Lord and the power that he has worked in us. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we would have confidence here. We We pray first of all that we would see the greater sense of this passage of Scripture. That we would see how many different ideas that the Apostle Paul has put into this small passage of scripture over which we've worked we pray that we would let this passage of scripture inform us and energize us accordingly we pray that we would be open to more doctrinal parts of the Bible as well as some of the narratives and the stories that are so exciting we pray O Lord that thy spirit would excite us to produce the excitement ourselves as we peruse these great doctrines especially as we see the completeness and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ this one who has come into our lives and informed us of the gospel we pray that we would see the power of the gospel because we see the power of Christ we pray O Lord that you would dash that you would destroy these small views of Christ that we have in our mind's eye, and that we would see a Christ, the fullness of Christ, who is all in all, the second person of the Trinity, through whom all things were created, the eternal word. We pray, O oh Lord, that he might well up before our mind's eye and that we might see that our faith is in one who is vastly superior to anything that we can know or think, that he is the foundation of our faith, and that whenever we have doubts, we need only but turn and gaze upon this humble Savior who has come into our lives. We pray this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.